You're listening to the International Literature Festival Dublin podcast. International Literature Festival Dublin is a Dublin City Council initiative kindly supported by the Arts Council. For all the latest festival news or to sign up to our newsletter, visit www.ilfdublin.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I think that some of you have read the book already, but for those of you who don't, you're in for a treat. And uh, we'll try not to spoil anything for you today, but we'll have a chat about some of the characters because I know some of you who have read it will have a lot of questions, and I'll leave you lots of time at the end. Um, Wonder was published in 2012, and it kicked off a whole universe of stories that spawned out of Wonder. Um, 365 Days of Wonder, Augie and Me, We're All Wonders, and collectively, RJ Palacio's books have sold over 16 million copies in the world. Isn't that an extraordinary number? And for those of you who have read it, you'll understand why it's become such an important book. Um, this is Raquel's first time in Ireland, so it's yes. brilliant that she's getting to, read, to meet some of her readers. And I'd like to start today by asking you a little bit about what you were working at while you were writing Wonder. I was in book publishing. Um, my job for many, many years was to um, design book covers. So whatever you know, cover you would see on a book, that was my job to do. Um, so I was doing that, and, uh, and then one day I started writing Wonder, and uh, my, my life has changed. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. enormously. Yeah. Um, do you think you could ever go back to your day job in publishing, having been on the authorial side of things? Yeah, you know, uh, I loved my job. I loved being part of the book publishing community, because I had always, I was a big reader, I am a big reader, um, and I love being part of the community of people whose job it is to bring books into the world. So, um, but having said that, I, I, I'm, I'm glad to be a full-time author now. It's, it's, it's a nice departure. I did that for 25 years, ready to move on, so. And tell us about the jacket for Wonder. So, isn't this a brilliant cover? Yeah, I like it a lot. It's a really clever image. Um, for those of you who haven't read it, would you maybe just tell us a little bit about the, the broad story sure. of Wonder and Augie? Well, Wonder is about a 10-year-old boy named Augie Pullman. Um, he's growing up in New York City. And uh, Augie, in every single way one can imagine, feels like he's an ordinary boy. You know, he, he rides his bike, he loves Star Wars, he, uh, he you know, goes to the ice cream shop. You know, he's, he's just a typical kid, except for the fact that he was born... Um, not looking like a typical kid. He doesn't look ordinary. In fact, he was born with a syndrome that causes his face to look very different from, from what we are accustomed faces uh, to, look, to looking like. So um, uh, Wonder starts uh, with Augie, who has had to have multiple surgeries his entire life, which means he was homeschooled. He, he, his parents couldn't send him to school because he had to miss so many classes that he ended up being homeschooled. But by the time he's 10 years old, his parents feel like he's ready to start school, like a real school for the first time. And uh, at first, of course, he's very reluctant. He's a little nervous. Um, he's, he's very sheltered because he knows that wherever he goes, he gets pointed at, he gets looked at. Um, people make sometimes cruel or callous comments. Um, so, and, and Wonder takes him through the, that year. We, we follow his journey from the very first day of fifth grade to uh, the last day of school. And um, it's also about the people he meets along the ways, the kids that become his friends, um, the, the kid that bullies him, you know, and, uh, and we learn how they experience, we learn from their points of view what his experience is like as well. And what was the conversation like around what the book was going to look like? Because you're in a very peculiar position when your job all day long is making books look brilliant. Yeah. And then it's out of your control because you didn't design this book. I didn't. I didn't. I, um, I didn't want to, though. It was, it was kind of my choice. I think my editor and the publisher of the book assumed that I would want to do the book cover. And I very specifically said I did not want to do the book cover because I, I wanted this. This was my first book. And I wanted the experience to be purely about being an author. 
and not being an art director. So, uh, so I chose not to. Having said that, I did, um, I did recommend the illustrator, and we did work very closely about the final, you know, what the final cover would look like. Uh, so, and I, I, I was really happy with it. I think you're yeah. quite right yeah, to be yeah. happy it was, with it. It's, it's, it's very gorgeous. iconic. Yeah. And it, it's funny because, you know, it's been published in 50 languages at this point. And the 95% of publishers around the world have used that image, which is very rare. Wow. Usually publishers come up with their own versions of, of the book covers. Yeah. Um, very few publishers have, have departed from this. That's very yeah. unusual. Yeah. And have you gone with wonder around the world to meet readers all over the United States to begin with and then into Europe and you know where has this book taken you? I've, you know I have traveled a lot when it first came out I, I traveled a lot throughout the United States um, I'm from New York so uh, the East Coast was very easy for me but um, I ended up going to you know Chicago and uh, Texas the border regions of Texas right. uh, California Seattle I, I, I did travel a lot um, coast to coast in some of the uh, what are called the flyover states. Um, and then I did, I, I've, I've went to the Edinburgh Book Festival, I toured uh, in, in London, um, I've been to Italy and uh, here and Germany and uh, so it's been, it's been really great um, just to be able to speak to kids about, about wonder and, and also have that be such a universal um, uh, have such universal appeal. You know, it sort of stretches beyond cultures and beyond mm. languages. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of kids could relate to. It doesn't matter where they're from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think everybody has that experience at some point of feeling mm -hmm. a little bit different at school or yeah. maybe here, I think, because we would have primary and secondary school when kids started secondary school in their first year. It's like that moment in right. middle school where Augie is exactly. maybe the... How old are used they? To being the in about 12. Yeah, so okay. Yeah, yeah so a little bit older, yeah. but yeah. not too much. Right. Um, have any of you heard of the Choose Kind movement? Some of you have, yeah. So none of your classes have done it yet, which is interesting. So this could be good for the teachers. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what the Choose Kind movement means and, sure. and kind of how that manifests itself sometimes? Well, a, lot, a, a big theme of the book, if you've read it, is, is it's about kindness, really. Ultimately, it's about um, how Augie's life is so impacted by the kindness of his friends and the kindness of, of strangers. Um, but it's not just Augie, of course, that benefits from kindness. It's, it's the other characters in the book. It's the fact that Augie himself, despite having been met with so many acts of unkindness, can still find it in his heart to be kind to other people. Um, so the book is ultimately a meditation on kindness. It's a call to kindness. Um, and there's a quote in the book, uh, which is, if you have the choice between being right and being kind, choose kind. Um, and that choose kind quote, uh, that really sparked a whole movement in, at least in the United States, a lot of people, a lot of teachers especially, grabbed onto that and they started using that as a focus of wonder in their, in their when they do, did their class readings. Um, and so that grew. It started as just the Choose Kind movement, um, teach kids making pledges to Choose Kind, um, and then there are classroom kits where uh, teachers will have a jar, a kindness jar, and they fill it with blue marbles. Every time a child does an, uh, some act of kindness, a marble goes in, and if the jar gets full, um, they get a prize. You know, so there, there have been lots of initiatives, um, and it's been really successful. I think uh, hundreds of thousands of kids have signed on to the Choose Kind Pledge. It's brilliant, and yeah. you can do that still. Yeah. Um, Mr. Brown's Book of Precepts is another brilliant thing because the students in this book, when they meet Mr. Brown, the, the middle school English teacher, are taught about the idea of a precept or motto. Right. So something like, you know, to be kinder than is necessary. And at the back of Wonder, there are a few different precepts that the kids have sent him on right. postcards. Over the, yeah, over the um, summer, they send him postcards. Yeah. yeah, and one of my favorite ones, and I think from the, the bigger book, was be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Mm. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about Wonder is that you go through the story and you see it from different points of view. So it, you can be thinking in Augie's head or his sister, mm -hmm. Via, or some of his friends. Um, but 
it's the external chapters as well, the ones that came after that, that shed some light on some of the meaner characters. Yeah. Um, even in this book, I think it's really interesting how um, a character like Miranda, who is the sister's best friend, mm -hmm shows herself as a very grey character. There's no one black and white. There's no right. one 100% good or bad. Right. Would you like to talk a bit about where Miranda may have come from? M Miranda's very... I, I find her... She's one of my favourite characters, actually. Um, because when we meet Miranda, it's, it's through the eyes of Via, her, her former best friend, um, who are... They're both a little older than Augie, and they're just starting high school. And um, so what we hear about Miranda is that she's kind of ditched Via. I mean, she no longer seems to want to be friends with Via. Via's very hurt. Via's feeling left out. She doesn't understand why Miranda, who was her best friend from the time they were little kids, is suddenly, you know, just very indifferent to her and, and a little cold. And so we kind of don't like Miranda a little bit because we like Via so much. Um, but then when we get to Miranda's point of view, we realize that, well, Miranda was going through a lot of stuff. I mean, her parents were going through a really tough divorce. Miranda was feeling a little um, uh, uneasy in her own shoes. And she was kind of experimenting with, with different ways she wanted to express herself and different ways she wanted to be, uh, which is something that happens, I think, when, when kids are you know, that age. They, they often try on different personalities to figure out who they want to be, mm. um, unless there's someone like Via who knows very specifically who she is. Um, but a lot of people aren't like that. So I think the thing with Miranda is we learn that she's actually, um, she's got a huge heart and she ends up missing Via and the Pullman family a lot. Um, and and uh, I, I think one of the, the things that I was trying to do and wonder by showing the many points of view was just um, to illustrate that idea that everyone has a story to tell we should just treat each other with kindness because, you know, you never know what's going on with someone, why they're acting the way they are and uh, why maybe they're having a bad day. Um, and, it, and it's always good to just step back a little bit instead of reacting too much um, mm. to, to somebody's hostilities. And even Via, who is very sturdy and level-headed and has a good sense of who she is, she's very grounded and mm -hmm. happy in her family, she has her own little wobble. Yeah. And, you know, she's going into high school and things are changing for her. Um, and even though I think she is 100% kind and, you know, so committed to, to Augie's mm -hmm. happiness, she has her little moment of not being 100% kind too. Absolutely. She's, I mean, Via is a really complicated character. She's a really good girl. She's a great big sister. And yet um, she's growing up with a, little, with a little brother who has kind of, you know, he's taken all the attention and energy in that family um, because her parents have had to occupy themselves so much with his care um, because of the surgeries, because of the way he looks, and for so many reasons that um, she's sort of grown up kind of feeling a little bit um, left out, a little bit ignored. Uh, her parents love her, of course, and she loves her parents, but she's spent, we can assume that she has spent a lot of time in hospital rooms, mm. in hospital waiting rooms, waiting for the brother's surgery, that her parents have had to miss a lot of her soccer games and her, yeah, her yeah. plays and, and all of that because they were preoccupied with taking care of her little brother. So there's a little bit of resentment that she has, um, even though she feels guilty about it, because she knows she shouldn't. But, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's complicated. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And protecting him, you know, yeah. outright protecting exactly. him. And being the feisty sibling who, you know, maybe when the parents don't know how to react or Augie doesn't know yeah, how she's, to react. So. She's a fighter. Yeah. But she also, after a while, I think, doesn't also want to only be defined as the sister of a kid with a facial difference. Absolutely. You know, she wants to yeah. come into her own identity. So when she starts high school, interestingly enough, she kind of recreates who she is. She doesn't tell anyone she has this little brother. Um, she has a new boyfriend. She doesn't even tell him about it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's um, she, she's, she's going through a lot of things too. Who do you think you were in high school if you had to pick one of the wonder characters to line yourself up with? In high school or middle school? In, well, I, maybe, maybe in, in middle school to start with. Yeah. When you were their age, you were 10 years old, you yeah. were coming into the fifth grade. Yeah, I think I, think I would have been most like a minor character named Charlotte. You guys, that, that, do, do, yeah. Do, well, because Charlotte is, um, I mean, I wish I could say I would be like Summer. 
Summer is the girl that I think we all would love to be. Mm. <laughs> um, she is so cool and she's so courageous. She's the little girl who, at the age of 10, 11 years old, you know, she sees this little boy who's in sort of desperate need of a friend and she like goes ahead and she sits down with him and, you know, and, and is social with him and, and extends her hand in friendship. Um, but it takes a lot of courage to be that kind, that young, you know? Sometimes kids aren't ready to, uh, to take that stand. Um, I think I certainly probably was a little more self-conscious about it. So I was more like Charlotte. Charlotte is a girl who from the very beginning, she's always nice to Augie. And she's yeah. always like, you know, hi Augie, but from far away. She never actually goes out of her way to be, be friends with Augie. She's just kind of friendly from a distance. And um, in that sort of safe way that uh, kids sometimes are because they don't want to, you know, put their necks out there. Mm. And then Augie, I feel you have a lot of love for Augie. Someone yesterday when we were speaking yeah. to a, a different audience that wasn't all schooled, someone said, who's your favorite character yeah. in Wonder? And I always think that's such a tough question to ask an author, <laughs> but I think there's great warmth from all of us, from anyone who've read, who has read so the book. Much for, but yeah, for yeah, Augie. Yeah. And for you to have been working full time and the parent of two small kids, mm -hmm. I feel like Augie's story probably pushed you to write it. It's um, true. I uh, also, you know, my older son had just finished fifth grade, which is when Augie's school year happens. You know, it, it and um, just watching him experience fifth grade, which was tough. You know, starting a new middle school. Um, you know, the 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 change in dynamics between old friends and new friends and all the things that happen when you're that age, um, it, it means a lot. If you're 10 or 11 years old, this is your life. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes adults tend to uh, forget how important those little friendships are or those moments in school or a, a bad day with a teacher or, you know, a, a not doing well on a test. That all means so much to a 10 or 11-year-old. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes as parents, we're so involved uh, in, in bigger life things, quote unquote, mm -hmm. that we forget just how important it is. So I, I wanted to highlight, um, and I wanted to write from the point of view of kids. I mean, there, it, it's, you don't hear from the parents in wonder. Mm. And the reason was because I just wanted to make sure that the kids, uh, from beginning to end, this is their story, from their point of view, um, and, and let them think about what the parents are thinking. I don't have to tell them, you know, but, mm. but this is, I wanted, I wanted to be the child's story. Absolutely. Yeah. As a parent, you can kind of see sometimes what the parents yeah. are thinking, yeah. but that's not the way I would have read it when I was a little bit younger. Exactly. Um, tell us about your life as a writer. Then. What did your, your working day look like as a writer when you started Wonder? Did you have, oh. you know, nine to five at a desk? Yeah, you took I, every second Friday off? Yeah, no, well, well, so when I was writing Wonder, um, so I had this nine to five job. I was a book jacket designer and art director. Um, and I, my, I had a regular nine to five job. And, and so um, I started writing Wonder and I, I soon realized that I, I never had time to write. Like you have to sort of be able to devote at least a couple of hours a day to writing. And um, so while I was writing Wonder, I, I got into this routine where I would um, put my younger son to bed, take a little power nap, and then wake up at around midnight and I would write from 12 to 3 in the morning. Um, and I did that every day for about a year and a half or two years. and, and uh, and wrote Wonder. Um, the nice thing now about being a full-time author is I don't have to do that anymore. Now I could write during the day, um, I could go get my coffee at Starbucks, I could, it's, it's a little bit more relaxed. Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine getting up between midnight and three in the oh, morning yeah. every day for a year and a half? It's incredible, but it Thank makes you. you think about, you know, sometimes, uh, do you ever find yourself saying, oh, I don't have time to do that? You have to make the time. You have to make yeah, the if, time. If it if means enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what about now when you're writing and when you're working? Do you have a particular space in your house you like I to do, do it? Or? I have a particular space in my house, though the nice thing about writing and laptops is you can work anywhere, you know, and... and uh, and yeah, I, I try to be really disciplined. Um, the last book I've worked on that's coming out in October was actually a graphic novel. Uh, I went back to my roots because I trained as an, uh, as an artist. 
I went to Parsons School of Design. And um, so I wanted to write a graphic novel because I wanted to be able to use that part of me as well. So um, a graphic novel, you write and you illustrate at the same time. So it's kind of a nice combination. Um, so that's coming out in October. And that's what I was working on for the last two years. Uh, that I did entirely on an iPad. So again, it was very mobile. I could watch TV while I was drawing. Um, it, was, it was a relaxing thing, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And did you find the process then very different when you were, wh which came first for you, the, the story writing. or the art? The, the writing came first, and that was easy, because you don't have to, when you're writing a graphic novel, what's kind of cool is you don't have to worry about um, getting character, describing characters, or getting them from one place to the other. You don't, you don't have to write as much. You basically are just writing um, thought bubbles or speech bubbles. And, or dialogue, basically. So, it, and then you kind of envision, because you're also illustrating it, um, what the characters would be doing while they're doing that. So, so it was a process. I kind of sketched it out very quickly and the, did the captions very rough, um, and then refined things as I went along. It's a really good tip for anybody who wants to write, actually, that maybe a graphic novel if you have any visual sensibility, yeah. if you're good at drawing, that could be a good place to start telling your story. It really is, and, and they actually, um, I used some of those sketchbooks that come with the, the boxes that are, you know, you can buy them oh, in right. stores. Yeah, like they have the little, paper. yeah, exactly. They're so, they're great, the, the panels. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a really very freeing um, way of expressing yourself and telling a story. And do you think particular stories fit particular ways of telling them. Could you ever have done Wonder as a graphic novel or would you go back to it now? It's been suggested and uh, I don't, I, I, it may happen, I have no idea, but it's definitely been suggested. Um, what would be nice about doing that is, um, have you, how many of you guys have seen the movie? Oh, oh wow. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> I, I, and I hope, I, I like the movie. Um, sometimes it's hard when you, um, when you write a book and they mm. adapt it to a movie, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily pay strict attention to the book. And, uh, and there's a lot of changes that happen. But I thought they did a really good job in sort of really maintaining the... It was great. Right, the, the characters and the themes of the book, even the different points of view. Um, they did a really good job. Having said that, of course, as an author, you kind of visualize a lot of the scenes that you write. And then the director of the movie might have a different vision. And so that, so when I watched the movie Wonder Hour and I saw it being um, filmed, there were a lot of scenes that ended up playing out very differently from the way I imagined them. So what would be nice about doing a graphic novel is to be able to visually tell the story the way I would have told the story if I could have. Mm. Uh, taking so back control. <laughs> taking back control. And, and the thing with the graphic novel, which is really, again, another really cool thing, it is like a mini movie. It's, it's like a storyboard for a movie. You kind of direct the scenes, you decide what camera angles, you, you decide whose point of view is gonna be saying that. You, know, you dress the characters, you design the backdrops. Um, it's, a, it's a great way of sort of orchestrating a scene. So yeah, I might end up doing it. I don't know. Mm, it's just a lot of work. It you took could have two heard years. it here first. I know, <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work. Tell us about your involvement with the movie then. You were an executive producer. Yeah. What does that mean? Uh, you know, that's kind of open to interpretation. They, they, in this case, it meant that the, the, the real producers, um, who were very nice, uh, came to me after they made decisions and, and told me about them. Um, and if I really, really, really felt strongly that maybe one of the decisions was not the right way to go, um, they, they would listen to me. But I, I, I did not exercise that too many times. There were just one or two times that I said, no, you guys have to change this. It's not right. And they listened to me. So, um, so it was wonderful. I, I really enjoyed uh, that partnership. Um, having said that, I, it's not like I had a lot of control. I like all of the mm. all of the pieces were kind of put into place, um, not because of my involvement, but despite my involvement. So, can you tell us any of those stories, or are those strictly um, secret and confidential? No, no. Well, uh, well, I think the biggest um, the biggest discussions that were had before the making of the movie was how we were going to portray Augie's face. Um, originally, I had really advocated for 
hiring a, a boy who really does look like Augie in real life, um, who has the syndrome, which is called Treacher-Collins syndrome. Um, but ultimately, you know, finding a little kid, a 10-year-old, right age, who has the right uh, facial syndrome, um, and who can, whose parents would let him do it, because, you know, it's a lot of time off from school, um, not just filming the movie, but then later on um, doing all the publicity for the movie. Um, and, you know, you also open yourself up to reviews and critics mm. and all that stuff. It can be a harsh world. Um, and then on top of that, who can act? You know, so there, there really weren't a lot of kids who, who could have done it. Um, so when we ended up with Jacob Tremblay, who is one of this generation's greatest actors, he's a really amazing actor, the, the makeup that he was given, the look, um, that was something having, I, I appreciate all the work that went into it. I, I didn't think that it fully conveyed what Augie looked like enough. I think they, um, they made him a little cuter mm. than he actually would look like in real life. Um, um, having said that, I think it was great and, and they made those decisions based on a lot of things um, having to do with the audience and, and what they felt the audience could handle. Mm. Um, but I would have pushed it a little bit more. Mm. And what about the other casting decisions for the mom and the dad? I was saying to you that one of the things I remarked on was that I was going in expecting Vian Augie's mom to be Brazilian and yeah. here's Julia Roberts, yeah. beautiful and pale skinned as us. Um, <laughs> but she was fabulous in it. She, she was, was fabulous. She was a really great choice. If Julia Roberts wants to play the mom in your movie, you let her. Absolutely. <laughs> Who's going to object to that? Yeah. Uh, maybe you could tell us the story about um, when you met those, those actors you know, and how that felt for you. Oh, you know, you've dreamed up these people, you've written this extraordinary story, and here's Owen Wilson and Julia Roberts there. standing in front of you. I, I know. Nate and Isabel in the flesh. It was, it was really incredible. Um, it's funny, because I think I was mentioning to you earlier that um, we, we got to travel to the movie set, um, my family and I. So I have two sons, Caleb and Joseph, and my husband, Russell. And the director, in fact, we're extras in the movie, because um, the director really wanted, wanted us to be like Easter eggs inside the movie. Um, so you need to go back and find them now. Yeah, well, go it's very easy. In the, standing the last scene in the movie, the standing ovation scene, he, the director put me right behind Julia Roberts, put my husband right behind Owen Wilson, and put my kids behind Bia and Miranda. So um, you, could, you could see them all. Um, and my, my sons were used as extras throughout the, 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 the movie. But what was really amazing, um, I have nothing to do with movies or Hollywood. You know, I'm, I'm from New York, all the way on the other side of the... I, I don't know any movie people. I'm a book publishing person. Um, and you hear a lot of things about Hollywood, right? You, you know, you, you, you hear things uh, just, just about the way people are. And I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting the tremendous amount of kindness on that set. And people kept on telling me, the crew, there were, you know, a hundred people work on a movie, um, how they, had, they were inspired by the book that they actually w asked to work on this movie. Um, Julia asked to work on the movie. She had yeah. read the book to her kids, um, and she called up the producer and she was like, you know, hey, if you want anyone to buy, you know, I, I, I'd love to be part of this, you know, and, and um, same with Owen Wilson, uh, David Diggs, who, uh, who stars in Hamilton um, on Broadway, was a huge favorite for my sons to meet because they're really into Hamilton, um, and of course, Mandy Patinkin, uh, he's who I envisioned when I was writing Mr. Tushman, I was thinking Mandy Patinkin, so the, all, seeing the characters brought to life, um, was really surreal. That's the only word I could use for it. It, it was just like mind-blowing. I can only imagine what that's like. Um, you know what was also kind of amazing is not just the actors, but the whole set that was built. Originally, that was another sort of uh, thing that we were discussing. I really wanted them to film in New York City because it, it, it feels like a very New York kind of, mm. it, it takes place in New York, it, it feels New York, um, but the producers really wanted to film it in Vancouver, which is Aha. in Canada, all the way on the other it's side. It's always of the fake America. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
And, uh, and so the production designer, a production designer for a movie is the person who's responsible for creating the look of the movie, all the backdrops, all the, the scenes. Um, is, was this woman named Kalina Ivanov. And she went to Vancouver and scouted out all the locations. And she said, you know, there is nothing here that looks like New York. So they ended up recreating the, the brownstone that the Pullmans live in, in a giant warehouse, life-size, a brownstone. Um, they made the stones out of brown styrofoam and they carved it. And then the interior was all sort of fabricated. And that was the part that really hit me the most when I saw that the set designer had the refrigerator in the Pullman kitchen with little magnets and like notes and like the Pullman family really lived there. They made that home look like it was a real home full of things that a real family would have, you know, it was a lived in place. The kind of imagination and thought that went into bringing that to life was almost for me, more spectacular than seeing the characters come to life. That's amazing. It was, it was really amazing, like drawings that Augie would have made. Mm. You know, it was, it was really fantastic. I have no idea about anything to do with Hollywood, but I'd suggest that the book inspired the feeling that you felt on the set. I think, you know, the yeah. people who came after Wonder onto this set couldn't possibly <laughs> they, they, go full on Hollywood. Yeah, and, I think and you're be right. Their usual cranky yeah. selves. That's I what think. they were saying. So yeah. it was really nice. Yeah. How have your own family reacted to the crazy success that Wonder has had? Do you get it, your kids throwing it back in your face that you have to choose kind <laughs> when you shout at them for throwing their socks on the floor? A little bit. Yeah. A great, great choosing kind, mom. Um, yeah. My my older son is 22 now, um, and my younger son is 15. So the 15 year old was actually is sort of the Wonder age. Mm. Like he he. Um, he grew up with Wonder. Um, he, you know, he was in the fifth grade when Wonder became required reading for fifth graders everywhere. You know, so it's, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting thing for him. And he's, you know, he's there's a part of him that's a little self-conscious and a part of him that's really proud about the whole thing. So it, it's been it's been a journey for him. Um, my older son, it's funny because I was invited to speak at his college. And I remember my, my older son saying, Mom, you know, by the way, don't be surprised if not too many people come to, to hear you. Because, you know, at my age, you know, we didn't grow up with wonder. Um, whereas, you know, the week before, Lois Lowry, who wrote The Giver, had mm. been speaking. And it was a huge crowd. And he said, because that's my generation. We grew up with The Giver. But, uh, but my kids my age, they don't really know wonder, so don't be surprised if no one shows up. Basically, this is my, my 20 year old telling me this, warning me. And I was like, are you gonna be there? And he's like, I might. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't and even did sure. you leave him? I did, I did. But when I, I got to the, you know, to, to the college and it was as packed as this was and, uh, and he was kind of, he was like, oh, look at that. Like, this is a thing. This is a thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Well, the boys are inadvertently somewhat responsible for the story. They are. Isn't that right? Uh, well, a lot of the sub-stories that happen in Wonder happen, you know, were pulled right from their lives. Um, because I, I consider myself as a writer um, to be a professional eavesdropper. A thief. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I sort of, you know, I would come home from work every day and I'd find five or six boys playing Halo in my living room. And, uh, you know, and boys are loud, so you could hear them across the, the house. Um, and and I, I could hear the way they would talk to one another and, oh, I'm going to put that in the book. You know, the little things would work themselves into my book. Be careful what you say. Be careful. Could end yes. up anywhere. Parents are always listening. <laughs> and the very beginning of wonder, that story that made you think of Augie, was that that was when your kids were very young. Yeah. The, well, the whole inspiration for wonder um, was uh, if if you've read the book, you know that there's a scene where Jack Will, the character who becomes Augie's uh, good friend in school, talks about the very first time he ever sees Augie. Um, and uh, he's in front of an ice cream store with his younger brother and their babysitter. And uh, the younger brother reacts uh, when he sees Augie and starts to cry, and, and the babysitter kind of whisks them away uh, very quickly. And that scene was actually inspired by a very real, by, by my life. So that, that exact thing happened to me with my two sons. Uh, when my younger son was about three or four years old in front of an ice cream store in my neighborhood. 
um, we were, my, my younger son and I were sitting outside, he was in the stroller facing me, and my older son had gone inside to the store to get some chocolate milkshakes. And some people came from, out, from inside the, the, the ice cream store and kind of sat down right next to me, and uh, I didn't even notice them. Um, but at a certain point, I just kind of glanced over, and I realized that the little girl sitting directly next to me, who was probably like five or six years old, had a very, very severe facial difference. She looked very much the way Augie looks in, in the book. And, well, I, I knew that my younger son, the moment he looked up and saw her, I knew he was going to, you know, he's going to react in a way that might inadvertently hurt her feelings because he was three years old and, uh, and, and I, I knew that he would probably start to cry. He would get scared. And so um, in my haste to uh, sort of shield the little girl from seeing my son's reaction to her face, I, I kind of left the scene very, very quickly um, and a little too dramatically. I won't even go into the whole story, but um, that incident, my son's reaction, my reaction, uh, because of course afterwards I regretted having left the scene so quickly. Afterwards I realized that what I should have done that didn't occur to me, was, was simply sort of not panic. I should have turned to the little girl, um, introduced us, just, you know, introduced my son, started talking to her, you know, just, just let my, my son know by my um, example that there was nothing to be afraid of. But at the time, I, you know, you kind of panic. As a parent, you don't always know what the right thing to do is. Anyway, that, that scene, uh, which I wrote about later in that Jack Will point of chapter, um, that scene was really what got me thinking about wonder. I, it got me thinking all the rest of the day about what it must be like to face a world every day that doesn't really know how to face you back. You know, what it must be like to look so different that no matter where you go, people stare at you, um, people point at you, people are afraid of you. Um, especially if you know that on the inside you are ordinary, you're just a little kid minding your own business in this world. Um, but the rest of the world won't let you be ordinary because of the way you look. So I started writing Wonder that very night and, uh, and, and kept writing. I think one of the things that Wonder does so brilliantly is that idea of the inadvertent hurt feelings, mm. of the potential for hurt feelings and how being kind all the time can have such a huge knock-on. Yeah. Jack Will is such an important character for progressing that idea. Yeah, you know, he makes a couple of mistakes. He does. But he's a kind-hearted boy who sort of, uh, you know, he just muddles on, mm. <laughs> doing his best. I might ask you to read at this stage oh, if sure. you don't mind. Yeah. Would you like to hear a little bit from the book? Yeah, all right. I'm going to read a chapter, a very short chapter, um, which is Augie explaining the day he was born. The, the chapter is called, How I Came to Life. I like when mom tells this story because it makes me laugh so much. It's not funny in the way a joke is funny, but when mom tells it, and V, v and I just start cracking up. So, when I was in my mom's stomach, no one had any idea I would come out looking the way I look. Mom had had Via four years before, and that had been such a walk in the park, mom's expression, that there was no reason to run any special tests. About two months before I was born, the doctors realized there was something wrong with my face, but they didn't think it was going to be bad. They told mom and dad, I probably had a cleft palate and some other stuff going on. They called it small anomalies. There were two nurses in the delivery room the night I was born. One was very nice and sweet. The other one, mom said, did not seem at all nice or sweet. She had very big arms, and here comes the funny part. She kept farting. Like, she'd bring some mom some ice chips, and then she'd fart. She'd check mom's blood pressure and fart. Mom says it was unbelievable because the nurse never even said, excuse me. Meanwhile, mom's regular doctor wasn't on duty that night, so mom got stuck with this cranky kid doctor she and dad nicknamed Doogie after some old TV show or something. They didn't actually call him that to his face. But mom says that even though everyone in the room was kind of grumpy, dad kept making her laugh all night long. When I came out of mom's stomach, she said the whole room 
got very quiet. Mom didn't even get a chance to look at me because the nice nurse immediately rushed me out of the room. Dad was in such a hurry to follow her that he dropped the video camera, which broke into a million pieces. And then mom got very upset and tried to get out of bed to see they, where they were all going. But the farting nurse put her very big arms on mom to keep her down in the bed. They were practically fighting because mom was hysterical and the farting nurse was yelling at her to stay calm. And then they both started screaming for the doctor. But guess what? He had fainted right on the floor. So when the farting nurse saw that he had fainted, she started pushing him with her foot to get him to wake up, yelling at him the whole time, what kind of doctor are you? What kind of doctor are you? Get up, get up. And then all of a sudden, she let out the biggest, loudest, smelliest fart in the history of farts. Mom thinks it was actually the fart that finally woke the doctor up. <laughs> anyway, when mom tells a story, she acts out all the parts, including the farting noises, and it is so, so, so funny. Mom says that the farting nurse turned out to be a very, very nice woman. She stayed with mom the whole time, didn't leave her side even after dad came back and the doctors told them how sick I was. Mom remembers exactly what the nurse whispered in her ear when the doctor told her I probably wouldn't live through the night. Everyone born of God overcometh the world, she said. And the next day after I had lived through the night, it was that nurse who held mom's hand when they brought her to meet me for the first time. Mom says by then they had told her all about me. She had been preparing herself for the seeing of me. But she says that when she looked down into my tiny, mushed up face for the first time, all she could see was how pretty my eyes were. Mom is beautiful, by the way. And dad is handsome. Via is pretty, in case you were wondering. I'm going to let you ask some questions in just one minute. So while you are thinking about your questions and getting ready, we want to hear lots of them. We're going to leave you a good bit of time. I'd just like to talk about what you have coming next. So you told sure. us it's a graphic novel. And in order to understand who that graphic novel is about, I think mm -hmm. we need to go back to Wonder and yep. talk about our bad guy. Yeah. Um, so Julian the bully. Julian is the bully in the book. Julian is the kid who uh, just never, ever gives Augie a break. He never, ever lets himself get to know Augie. Right from the get-go, he's just mean to Augie for whatever reasons. We don't really know. Um, when I was writing Wonder, I knew what was motivating Julian. And in fact, originally I was planning on including, including Julian's point of view in, in the Wonder story, but ultimately I decided not to put in his chapter because in a way, since his problem is that he never gets to know Augie, he really didn't have anything that he could add to Augie's story. And Wonder, you know, from beginning to end, Wonder is about Augie. Mm. So having said that, I really did want to explore Julian's character a little bit more. So I wrote a book, a little a novella called The Julian Chapter, which is from Julian's point of view. And we hear about Augie from his point of view. Um, and, and we kind of experience his, his, what happens after um, wonder takes place. Um, and ultimately, the real problem Julian had, Julian was afraid of Augie. He just didn't know how to express that. He didn't know, he wasn't getting any help either, like from his parents. His parents really didn't understand that this was sort of a big part of what was going on. Um, and so he wasn't really getting the kind of care that he needed to deal with his fear, which he turned into anger, which he turned into hatred. Um, and so anyway, so the events of wonder take place. He kind of gets expelled from the school for being, you know, mean to Augie. Um, and then in the Julian chapter, we follow him through the next summer. Uh, his parents sent him to spend the summer with his grandmother in Paris. And it's his grandmother who finally kind of realizes that Julian needs help. Julian needs somebody to try to get to the bottom of what is going on with his meanness. And, uh, and so one day she tells him a story uh, because she realizes that Julian is, is sort of not understanding his role in the whole Augie 
thing. He, he almost sees himself as a victim. So the grandmother, Grandmere, tells him a story that she'd never really told anyone before because it's so painful for her about something, about what had happened to her when she was a young girl living in Paris, or living in France, not in Paris, um, during the Nazi occupation in World War II. She had to go into hiding because she was Jewish. And she was hidden inside a barn for two years by a very nice family um, and a little boy who was almost like Augie in that no one in their school wanted to ever play with him because he had polio and he walked on crutches. And uh, anything, unfortunately, sometimes sets, that sets someone apart makes it, you know, makes it hard for them to, uh, to sort of, you know, have friends. So she becomes really good friends with this boy named Julian, the original Julian, and, uh, and it's her story inside this barn. And in the Julian chapter, when Julian hears, hears this story, it's the first time that he actually makes a connection between the mean boys in, in the grandmother's story and himself. He realizes that, oh, I'm the bad guy in Augie's story. And he'd never really seen that. So that, that story and the, the, the ability of using a story to reach people um, is really what the Julian chapter is about. And so um, I decided, because I got so much feedback about that, but about the grandmother's story, I decided to take that aspect of the Julian chapter, which is the grandmother's story, and turn that into a graphic novel. So the graphic novel is actually um, about Sarah, the grandmother, as a little girl. And it's about her story about how she goes into hiding, her friendship with this boy named Julian and his family, and ultimately um, how, she, how she lives through it. It was a very, very dark time in history, um, but she, she does manage to live through it because of the kindness of Julian, who was his, you know, and, and his family. Um, I thought it was an important story to tell, especially nowadays, when the world is dealing with so, so many acts of unkindness. Um, and I thought it was an important reminder that uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of incumbent on all of us to stand up for the people who can't stand up for themselves. And that ultimately is, is what kindness is also. It's not just about being polite, it's not just sort of about being friends with someone, uh, it, it's also sometimes about taking a stand and doing the right thing, um, even when governments or leaders tell you otherwise. We know what's right in our heart and we just have to stick up for other people. That's what humanity is. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we couldn't end on a better note than that. That graphic novel is called White Bird and it's going to be out later this year yeah. and I hope that we'll get a chance to get you back to Ireland to I talk love to it. us about it because yeah. it sounds fantastic. Thank you. Can we give Raquel a big round uh, of applause? Thank you. Thank you. And now, and now it's your turn. So we have time for questions. I think our crew in the red t-shirts have microphones and they're going to come to you. So if you have a question, please put your hand up and a volunteer will come to you. Oh, lots of questions. There are a lot. We have yeah, one right great. in the front row. Okay, so we're gonna be nice and quiet so we can hear this first question. We'll try and get as many of them in as we can, but we're gonna start just over here, please. You know, I, I think that the sort of having a, a face that looks different from ordinary faces is really what Augie's struggle is about. Even though everybody in the book has something that they wish that they could change about themselves, like Via and Miranda, all of the minor, all of the other characters also struggle with feeling different in some way. The thing is with Augie, his difference is so obvious because it's his face, you know, and, and I just thought that that's, that was the vehicle I used to tell the story. Okay, our next one over here. But uh, I love hearing that you're a writer, by the way. I, I, I love when, 
I love when people want to be writers. I think that's the best. Telling stories is the greatest thing. Um, in terms of names, that is one of my favorite parts of writing uh, stories is coming up with the different names and, um, you know, where the, I, I was saying the other day that, that um, my, my favorite two names in the world, two boys' names, I used up on my children. But if I'd gone on to have a third son, I would have called him August. I love the name August. I always have. Um, and all the names in the book just are like my favorite names. Justin, Miranda, Jack. Uh, these are just names that I've always loved. And, and you get to use them. And sometimes you don't know where the names come from, right? You, you, you're sort of, you're writing, and then you, your character comes along, and you just name them. You pull the name out of, it's, it's almost like they, it's almost like they existed before you, you write them down. It's, it's a very strange thing when you're writing and you're in that zone. Um, so yeah, I love, good luck with your writing. Thanks. In what ways, I'm sorry, in what ways was I meant to stand out or Augie? Augie stands out, I think, I mean, a lot of, I, like the, I think a lot of people think that Augie stands out only because he looks so different. In my mind, by the end of Wonder, I think we've come to realize that the reason Augie really stands out, the reason he's a wonder, isn't because of the way he looks. It's because despite everything he's been through, he manages to, some, despite all the acts of unkindness that have been directed at him in his short life, he still manages to find kindness and wonder in him and toward other people. And that's what makes him, to me, a wonder. Um, the fact that he has such a positive, he maintains such a positive approach to life and such a kind aspect in his regard for people. I'm so sorry. Can you say that one more time? Why did Miranda Why stop, did Miranda liking, stop Bia? liking Bia? Uh, you know, I think Miranda and Bia, you know, they were about 15 years old when this takes place. They had been best friends their whole lives. And I think Miranda was going through a tough time at home. You know, her parents were going through a really hard divorce. I think Miranda was trying to figure out who she was and which sometimes involves a little experimentation. You know, she dyed her hair pink. She was probably, you know, going out a little bit. She was um, partying a little bit. She was doing things that she knew that Via probably would not go along with um, because Via is a very centered girl. Via knows who she is. Via does not need to experiment. She knows exactly what she wants, who she is, what she's gonna do and what she's not going to do. And I think Miranda knew that about Via. So rather than try to drag Via along on her misadventures, I think Miranda decided just to kind of stay apart from Via, leave her behind, and sort of venture on her own um, and, and do her thing. I think ultimately she realizes that she misses Via. She misses the Pullmans. She misses Via's family. She misses Augie. Um, so she comes back to them at the end of it. But I think she needed to go on her journey in order to come back and find that friendship again. This one here, we'll try and get um, someone from each school, I think, as well. Well, I am thinking about it. Right now, um, I think my next book is not going to be another wonder. My not the graphic novel, but the next book that I write. Um, that will not be a graphic novel, um, I, I think, um, will not be wonder-related, just because I want to try something different. I've been doing this for, you know, wonder's been my life for the last 10 years, and I kind of want to try something else. Um, having said that, I, will, I probably will at some point go back to wonder and maybe write a new chapter or a new, maybe, I don't know, some, some kids have suggested that I should write about Augie's life when he's in high school. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. What gave me the idea to, I'm sorry, can you say that? Sorry. One more time. What gave you the idea to write about, like, 
Oh, um, I, you know, I, it's interesting because in a way, um, Julian was a bully, um, but kind of a, uh, a tame bully in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's not like his bullying ever became physical. It was more of a mental, psychological kind of bullying. Um, they went to a school that was a very privileged school in a lot of ways. It was small. They all knew each other. The, the teachers had a pretty tight grip on what was acceptable and what wasn't. I wanted to show that by the, the end of the book, when Augie actually leaves the school, he goes out into the real world a little bit more. Um, when they go to the, the, the Broar Woods, you know, and they have that, um, that horrible thing happen when the, uh, the older kids, led by this boy named Eddie, actually physically assault the, the Jack and Augie. I, I wanted to show at that moment that Augie would be okay in the world, even if there were moments when he had to face people like Eddie, that he would rise to the occasion and that he had what, it, what he needed inside of him to withstand anything life could throw at him. That, that's what I wanted Wonder to show, that his fifth grade year was kind of symbolic of the way his whole life will be. It's gonna be challenging, it's gonna be full of moments of tremendous unkindness, but it's also gonna be full of, of triumphant moments of when, when friends rally to, his, his, you know, to help him um, and when he finds the strength inside of him to, to meet anything head on. And so that's what those, those bullies kind of came to represent. I'm sorry? Were you annoyed with any of the movie? Was I? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't annoyed. I was, there were a few moments that I, I, I would have done differently. Um, but not that many. I thought I'd be much more annoyed um, than I was. They, they, and there were parts that surprised me. There were, there were parts in the movie that don't happen in the book. And I loved them. They were sort of added touch, or they happened differently. And, uh, and a few of them actually happened in a way that I wish I'd incorporated into the book. So, so it was, you know, yeah, there were a few moments that probably annoy me, not worth mentioning. Um, but overall, I was, I was just so pleased with, with the end result. They made a really, I mean, I guess my original idea for the movie was it would be a movie about a kid but for adults. And ultimately, they chose to make a movie about a kid for kids. And I think they made the right call. I really do. So, um, so even though I might have done it slightly differently, I think they, were, they, they did it right. Is there one up the top here? Sorry. What did you think of the casting for the movie? Oh, I thought the casting was great. The kids were so good. I mean, aside from Jacob Tremblay and aside from Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson and David Diggs as Mr. Brown and Mandy Patinkin as Mr. Tushman, the kids, the, you know, um, the kid that played Jack Will is Noah Jupe. He's, he's actually British from Manchester. He is incredible. Um, Bryce, who plays Julian, he plays this mean kid so well, you would think he's mean in real life. The sweetest kid, the nicest kid. Um, the, the, the girl that plays Charlotte and Summer, they, they were both so amazing. Um, I loved Via and Miranda in real life. They were just, like, so all of, the, um, all, of the, all of the cast, they were really amazing. It was really such an extraordinary uh, experience. What, what's kind of funny, though, is, so my kids were... Um, my older son was 20 when we went to the set, and my younger son was, I guess, 12 um, when we went to the movie set, and, um, or 13. And, uh, you know, they, had, they were so excited because they were meeting Owen Wilson, who they knew from Night at the Museum, right? And they were so excited because they knew who Mandy Patinkin was because he was the, in The Princess Bride. Um, my name is Inigo Montoya, you remember? You, you, killed, my, you killed my father. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so they were really excited about that. They were super excited about David Diggs, like I said before. Hamilton was a big, I mean, I don't know if you guys listened to the soundtrack to Hamilton, but that's David Diggs playing uh, Lafayette. 
Um, so they were excited about that. The one person they didn't really know or were excited about, oddly enough, was Julia Roberts, like who is the greatest, like, like possibly, I mean, I would think one of the biggest movie stars of our time. And yet she'd never really been in any sort of movies for kids, really. So they didn't really know who she was. And, and so, so when they met her, they were like, oh, she's so sweet. They, they, they had no idea she was. Do you know who Julia Roberts do you is? Get, yeah. It's funny, a lot of she is, don't. she's a huge, huge, huge movie star, um, but, but they didn't know it. Um, so, so anyway, I, 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 it was a wonderful experience and I, I wasn't disappointed in any of the cast. We have time for just one more question. Oh. I think you've got one lined up at the back. Oh, oh my ask God. <laughs> I think you have to ask that boy right there. Oh. We won't have time. Oh. Yeah. We'll have to catch you afterwards because it sounds like you've got something amazing, but there was somebody up here lined up to go. And oh, man. If I could change anything about the book. I, I you know, the book came out. Uh, the way I pretty much intended, I, I probably wouldn't change anything about it. I, I'm, I, uh, yeah, I don't think I'd change anything. Okay, that is all that we have time for. Thank you so much oh. for all of your questions. You've been brilliant. And thank you very much for having us here at the school. Thank, thank you. Thank you to Raquel for being oh, so generous. Thank with you. Time. No, it's my pleasure.